1 Peter 4, 14 through 19. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And then First Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Now may the God of peace make your, you holy in every way and make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who has called you is faithful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. You can have a seat. So welcome to week two of the fasting practice, our series on fasting. You you came back, or maybe some of you did. I see some fresh faces. Maybe some people decided, well, one week was enough. I've talked about fasting. I maybe even tried it, and I've, I've decided not to come back until they're done. But some of you came back for a session two. Some of you are here for the first time, and and we're just going to be talking about this practice of of fasting. Now, before I get into that, on Friday, Natasha and I had the opportunity to to learn not a new game. We've played it once before, but we were reintroduced to the game Cribbage. I don't know if you've played this game before. It's it's a fantastic game. We, We were taught by some expert teachers and very gracious and kind and showed us how to play the game, although we're both convinced that they're, they're still just making up rules half the time and, and names, like, like knobs and stuff. like that. I don't know where this is coming from, and if you've never played cribbage, then give it a shot and you'll be surprised at both how fun and how many rules they make up. But, but just like any, any game, they, they taught us how to play, right? And we played, the first round was like a practice round. I still call it a practice round, even though Natasha's team won, and so I still think it was a practice round. And, both, both first and second games were practice rounds because I lost them both. But as they taught us how to play, they just gave us suggestions. Like, here's, here's a way to play. Here's some strategy. Here's some ideas. Here's some suggestions about if you want to win this game, if you want to be good at this game. And, and then you get to decide. After the, after the two first two practice games, now you can decide how you want to play yourself. And, and we ended up you know, playing two games and, and beginning to figure out how to play the game ourselves. I do think I still need a little more advice on strategy. I'm still working on that game. But, but it reminded me that what we're doing is we're talking about these practices, these formation practices, including the practice of fasting, is that is we're just simply bringing the opportunity before you, making suggestions so that you can make decisions based on how you are hearing the Lord inv- invite you into it. In fact, just last Sunday after our service, I had a conversation with my daughter, Allie, and it was after church, and we were at home, and we were just hanging out in her room, and she just said, so are you, gonna, are you fasting? And I thought, well, like right now, no, I'm not currently. It's Sunday. I don't fast on Sundays because Sunday is a feast day. But she said, are you fasting? And she meant like this week, and I just, we just had this conversation about my plan and how I was going to step into this invitation, and even just talking through what could that look like for her as, as a teenager and, and just busy schedule and all the things and just trying to make sure it, it, it made sense at, at, at all levels. But like her starting point was, was simply to have the conversation, was just to engage in the conversation with, with me. And I think I say that to let you know that there is no wrong starting point in this practice of fasting. And that wherever you find yourselves, is, this is the invitation we've talked about recently when we talk about Jesus, is, is that he would say, wherever you are at, like, that is where we will start. 
And maybe you're just, your starting point is just simply a conversation or a few more questions or just to even talk with Jesus about it. Because our hope is that each one of us would just simply be open to this, this gracious invitation that Jesus would extend to us and his willingness to, to walk with us through this. And so we'll continue to talk about fasting today and, and over the next two weeks after this Sunday. And, and then after that, the hope is that you've taken some steps in this practice that have allowed you to make it part of a rhythm. But it's not something I thought about this this week as well. It's not something that we want to force upon anybody. I still remember when I was a kid and I was forced to eat fish. <laughs> I still do not really want to eat fish very often. The last thing we want is to force people into something and then it just becomes this, this thing that they push against because they've been forced into it. It's an invitation that Jesus graciously extends to us and, and we just want to partner with him in the extension of that invitation. Now, last week, when we began talking about fasting, here's what we said about it. We said at the heart of fasting, the fasting practice, is the desire to offer ourselves to Jesus. Now, if, if this whole idea of fasting is kind of new to you, go back and listen to last Sunday. We gave a lot of just practical information, answered a lot of practical questions. You'll need to go back and get kind of caught up. But the reality of when we're talking about offering ourselves to Jesus is it's all of ourselves. When we offer ourselves to Jesus, we're offering him our, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, which includes our body. We read briefly last week from Romans 12:1, which says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And what we said last week was that this means discipleship to Jesus takes seriously the body. Not just the mind and not just the heart. It takes the body seriously as well. We know that Jesus himself came in a body and that the body, like our physical bodies, is where like, our discipleship to Jesus becomes tangible. It's where the, literally where the rubber meets the road is, is in our physical expression of, of who we are in Christ. So I just want to maybe give you some insight into what is going on in your bodies when you are fasting. Now, I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. So you can fact check all of these things if you want to. And you come back and criticize me next week if I got any of it wrong. But I found it on the Internet. So it has to be true, right? So when you're fasting, like, so if, when you begin to fast in the first few hours, the first four hours, like your body is just simply sustaining itself off the food in your stomach. Right? It's just living off of what you've just recently consumed, and it will continue for a handful of hours. Now, when you reach about 16 hours of, of fasting, your body switches from burning, glucose to, from burning glucose for energy to burning fat, which is the doctors call ketosis, which can be very good for the body. And so, again, check all that out. Now, once you reach 24 hours of fasting, your body shifts into a state called autophagy, now, this is a term that literally means self-eating. Um, self Your body actually begins to break down and cleanse itself of the old and the dead and the damaged cells. These are the cells that doctors or experts would call like these zombie cells. So these are the three stages, right? Like when we, when we first start to fast and then within the first 16 hours and then within 24 hours, how these things start to take place. And the reality is in our bodies, like some significant things are taking place and actually some really beneficial things for our bodies begin to take place in, as we begin to fast that long. Around 24 hours is when that really starts to take place. And, and here are just some of the benefits that, that again, that I found. It, it can begin to cleanse your body of toxins. 
It can begin to increase metabolism. It can reduce weight. It can lower insulin levels. It can lower inflammation and blood pressure. It can strengthen the immune system. It can reduce the heart rate. I mean, those all sound like good things, right? Like these some healthy benefits to, to fasting. But when we talk about fasting as, as followers of Jesus, we're not fasting for the, the benefits of the body. We're fasting for another reason. Uh, Pope Benedict talked about this. He said, In our own day, fasting seems to have lost something of its spiritual meaning and is taken on in a culture characterized by this, the search for material well-being, a therapeutic value for the care of one's body. Fasting certainly brings benefits to physical well-being, but for believers, it is in the first place a therapy to heal all that prevents them from conformity to the will of God. In other words, we fast to grow in holiness. Last week, we talked that there are kind of four reasons that we, that we fast, and we're going to go through each of those four reasons. The first is we fast to offer ourselves to God. That's what we talked about last week. And today, we're talking about that we fast to grow in holiness. Now, that word holiness and that word holy, those are words that are probably come in kind of loaded. Maybe you have some, some baggage when you hear the word holiness, and depending on the, the church tradition that you grew up and how long you've been following Jesus, there was a time in, in church history, not, our, not too far ago, where that word came up a lot, and people talked a lot about holiness. And when they talked about holiness, they talked about this holy living, this, this upright living, this um, way of life that would like, cut out all of the things that were sinful, and it would also cut out all of the things that even just led to sin. I mean, for example, like the top on the list was, was dancing and, and playing cards, which I don't know, maybe, but that's the way it was. And, and the challenge with this type of, of holiness and this approach to holiness is that it can have a tendency to lead us into legalism. And that's where following Jesus just simply becomes following the rules like the list of things that, that you don't do and, and all the things that you are supposed to do. That becomes what following Jesus is, is all about. And I'm not saying that, that, that there's not room for that, that there's not room for, for making good decisions and, and doing the things that are ethically appropriate and that our lives actually should be shaped and formed and changed by the teachings of Jesus. Those should inform our decisions so that we do live an ethically upright life. But the tendency when we only focus on what we do and don't do is, is we become legalistic. And then, you know, judgment does not far, fall far behind after that. See, our lives should be morally shaped by the teaching, teachings of Jesus, but as Kyle Eidelman, who's a, both a pastor and author, he says this about holiness. He says, holiness is not just about what we get rid of, it's also what we chase after. It's what we pursue, what we run for, and what we crave. This morning we, um, we read from 1 Peter, and he said, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. You see, one of the, I think one of the biggest challenges of spiritual practices like fasting or Sabbath or prayer is that we can get tripped up by the idea that these practices prove our holiness to God. We can begin to think that these, these practices, that they begin to prove our holiness to others. They begin to prove our holiness even to ourselves, which then again can lead to the judging of ourselves and it can lead to, to judging others' 
harshly based on whether or not they're just putting into practice these practices. Like you, you look at someone and they decided not to fast last week and you're just like, man, I can't believe they didn't fast last week. They're not, they, they're not proven to me their holiness. Right? We, we just have a tendency to, to do that as people. But that's not the, the, point of, the point of it. And we can also do the same thing with ourselves. Like I can get very critical and judgmental of myself if I, if I chose not to practice Sabbath. Right? Like I can just begin to judge myself harshly. Or even if those practices don't play out the way I thought they should or the way someone told me that they should. Like if I just failed at, at, at praying or failed at, at fasting, if it's not looking the way that I think it, it should look, I can begin to think harshly about myself or harshly about others because of that. But I want you to listen carefully to this. The goal of these practices isn't to get us to do more for God. That's not the goal. They aren't, the goal is not to get us to do more for, for God and not to feel bad when we didn't do more. The goal of these practices is simply to get us with God. There's a big difference between the two. The goal of of trying to do more or the goal of just simply trying to get with God. You see, we don't fast and we don't pray and we don't Sabbath to prove ourselves. We practice these things to posture ourselves. We practice these things to position ourselves along the path of, of God's grace. So then he can begin to work and, and transform and, and sanctify us. I love the, the story of Zacchaeus found in the New Testament. You know Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, right? And he climbed up high in the sycamore tree. He was, and he's waiting for Jesus to come by. He knew that Jesus was going to come by this way, so he waited in a place where he could either see and observe or maybe even interact with, with Jesus. He placed himself along the path of, of grace, along the path of Jesus's movement in the path of grace, and he received it. And this is the same thing that we do. We just are placing and positioning and posturing ourselves along the path of God's grace because it's God who sanctifies us. It is God who makes us holy, and it is God who forms us into the likeness of his son. John Wesley, a theologian, he described this as sanctifying grace, which he says is God's freely given presence and power to restore the fullness of God's image in which we are created. Like that's what sanctification is, this sanctifying grace, this process of becoming holy or moving, growing in holiness. It's it's being returned to the image of God that we were once created into. And it is God who freely gives this through his presence, through his, his grace. And it shapes us and informs us. In fact, Paul offers a prayer for this. At the end of his letter to the Thessalonians, the first letter that he wrote, he says this, and we read it this morning. He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, make you holy through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and and he will do it. Now, the, the message version or translation of the scripture puts it in a, in a really cool way. I like how they say it. They said, may God himself, God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. 
You see, maybe there's a better way for understand biblical holiness, and that would be as wholeness. Just as uh, when we talk about health being kind of like good, the good of, of our body, holiness is, is for the good of, of our soul, of our whole person. It's in that holiness that it becomes less about trying to, to just live a holy life than trying to just prove your holiness, just trying to, to do more for God. And it becomes more about actually experiencing this life-giving holiness that is infused into us and is transforming us from the inside out through the presence of God himself. I want to give you just a, a brief explanation of what life-giving holiness or description of it. It's God's call, it says that God's call to holiness was never meant to be a burden, but a gift that liberates us for life, that is truly life, by delivering us from the destructive power of sin. All who are born again are made right with God by the finished work of Jesus Christ and called to experience the fullness of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Forgiven and filled, we approach life with confidence that we are acceptable to God even as he continues to transform our character and behavior to become more and more like Jesus. Life-giving holiness, then, is the fruit of full surrender to the loving reign of God over every aspect of our lives, establishing within us love that is truly love. You see, in one way that we can surrender ourselves to God, to place ourselves along the path of God's grace is through the practice of fasting. It's to offer ourselves through fasting. And in the same way as, as fasting for our body is a way of, of purifying and purging your body of the zombie cells, right? Like we just talked about, like if, if we fast, all of these things are taking place inside of, of our body. Just like that, Fasting, too, can be your soul's way of purifying and purging your whole person of self-defeating cycles of sin and shame. So let me just share with you like four things, maybe four of many probably, of what's taking place not just in our bodies, but, but what's happening in us as we are fasting. The first is this, is that we are weaning, uh, it's weaning us off of the pleasure principle. Now, the pleasure principle is simple, right? It's if it feels good, then do it. Now, this is a mantra that is like just run rampant in our culture and in our, in our context. If it feels good, do it. But as most of us know, most things that feel good in the short term, they tend to reap damage in the long term. But then on, on the flip side, many of the things that are no fun in the short term real, re yield dividends for years to come. You see, it's through fasting that we mature beyond the pleasure principle. And we learn how to do the right thing even when it is the hard thing. Fasting can teach us that. And as a result, and here's kind of the result of that, when we don't get what we want, whether that's due to life circumstances, whether that's due to our own choices in life, whether that's just simply due to the sovereignty of God, our, our response is not just anger and anxiety, but our response, when we actually don't get what we want, our response can actually still be joy and, and peace because we're being transformed into the likeness of God when we're not relying upon the pleasure principle, but we're actually kind of pushing against that and learning to do the hard things even when they are um, hard to do. So the second thing that's taking place is, is that it, it's revealing what's in our heart. 
Richard Foster, who wrote a, a great book on many spiritual disciplines, he talked about fasting. He says that the practice of fasting, actually above every other spiritual discipline, reveals the things that control us, the things that have control of us. So fasting teaches us so much. It really teaches us so much about ourselves, and we just begin to learn like who we are and the things that are, are controlling, the di- desires that are controlling us. We learn about our relationship with food. We learn how weak we are. We learn how much pleasure we need to be happy. We learn how far we are typically from God. It's humbling. Fasting is a, it is a hard and, and humbling process. But as all of this stuff is, is stirred up, as all of this stuff is, is brought up to the surface level, we, we can then begin to offer it to God. We can then begin to, to deal with the things that maybe the desires or the things that, are, that have control of us and begin to offer ourselves or offer them to, to God and offer ourselves to him as well. And in doing so, we can be set free from them. The third thing is that it, fasting, it's, it's reordering our desires. One thing you might notice while fasting is that your desires change. Like you may find yourself like wanting to actually sin less. You may be wanting the, your desires to be reordered, and you may be wanting to be holy more. Your desires for the things of the flesh, they might go down, and your desires for the things of the Spirit, compassion, kindness, goodness, the fruit of the Spirit, they, you might see them going up. You see, again, God is at work deep within our person, deep within ourselves, doing by his power what your willpower cannot possibly do. Our willpower is so limited, but God can do that work, and it is God who can transform you, which leads us to the last of these four things that's going on in us as we fast. It's drawing on the power of God to overcome sin and brokenness. You see, fasting is, it's a discipline, right? It's something that we have to put into practice. It's something that could build good habits. And just like any good habit, it can increase this, this willpower muscle. We can continue to get stronger at, at the idea of, of willpower. And in doing so, we can grow in both self-control and, and self-discipline. Now, those, those two things are, are kind of on the opposite sides of the coin. Self-control is the ability to say no to something, to not do something that you want to do, but is to not do something that you want to do but is bad for you in the long term. And self-discipline is the ability to say yes to something, to do something that you don't want to do but is good for you in the, in the long term. See, together they, they strengthen and they shape and they empower us. They, they give us what we call willpower. But practices like fasting especially are ways to bring our whole persons back under the control of the will. But I think we would agree that, that willpower alone is, is never sufficient. It's never sufficient to overcome the, the sin and, and the brokenness and the addictions in our lives. We can, we can try and we can try and we can try, but at the end, we're, we are limited in what we can accomplish, even with our, our willpower, which is why we come before God Almighty and, and ask for, for His power. You see, fasting is ultimately about drawing your strength from the Holy Spirit's power through this relational connection to God himself. As we come to God and give our, him our weaknesses, he comes to us and gives us his strength. You see, practices like fasting are how we do what we can do, how we can offer ourselves, placing ourselves 
our minds, our bodies, our souls at, along the path of God's grace. Like that's the part that we can do. So that fasting is a practice where we, that we do what we can do so that the Spirit of God can do what we cannot do, which is heal our brokenness, to overcome our addiction, to restore the image of his Son in us. And so here's maybe the thing to kind of wrap this up, is that the idea of, of fasting, it's not, a, it's not a formula for holiness because God is not an equation. God is a person. We know that God is the God who created us and it is God who, who loves us, which means that he is ruggedly committed to being with us, that he's ruggedly committed to being for us, and he's ruggedly committed to being unto us, which means that he wants to see us formed and shaped into a life that flourishes in the image of his son. And so fasting is a practice of posturing ourselves before the spirit of God and letting him form us into a person of love and goodness. And the byproduct of that is this idea of growing in holiness. And that's the hope as we fast, is that we become people who are growing in holiness, that we're becoming people that, that begin to look a lot more like Jesus.